Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Culture, the inescapable facet of humanity that saturates, shapes, and sways. What does culture tell us is important? What does it tell us to value? Do the themes of today align with what the gospel says is enduring and meaningful? The messages of culture can be so loud, so pervasive, and so crushing, yet so quietly stealthy at getting into our souls. Just do it. Have it your way. Obey your thirst. The cries of culture put us at the center of our world. Just go after it. But instead of chasing after the counterfeits that will slowly crush us, we are asked to come. Come to Him who can satisfy our deepest longings. Come to Him who will give us rest for our weary souls. Come to Him who is crushed for us. Instead of taking what culture says is true, we need to become students of truth by reading what the world says and comparing it to what the Word says. By hearing the world's news and recognizing it doesn't compare to the good news. By seeing that the world offers empty promises that lead to despair and looking to the King who makes us His heirs. Join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for a church family and that you've given us so many incredible gifts. As we look at the season ahead, where we're celebrating the greatest and ultimate gift giver, Father, that's you. Every day, every breath in our lungs is a gift that we have not deserved, that we, uh, that we have not merited, and we thank you for that. We thank you that you love us, but you love every detail in our lives, Father. You're not just the God of the big things. You're the God of everything that happens in this universe. And anything that comes our way in the way of your children comes only by the way of your hands. And you're good. And we recognize that. We declare that. I know there's people in this room this morning, Father, that are hurting, that are grieving, that are dealing with loss, that are dealing with pain that are dealing with uncertainty and unknowns, Father, please remind them if there's one truth this morning they can grasp, it's that you're good. And you've shown the glory of your goodness. You're not a God that just speaks and talks. You're a God of action. You've showed and displayed your goodness through the cross. You gave your greatest gift. You held nothing back, including your son. And through what you've done, accomplished, and finished, Jesus, we are held secure in your arms for not just now, but for eternity. So we praise you that we are not loved, that we are not cherished based upon our works, but we are loved and cherished, Jesus, based upon your works that you accomplished and finished for us. Fill us this time with your spirit. As Ronnie stands to preach your authoritative, divine, inspired word, I pray that your word would challenge us, your word would encourage us, And that, Father, I pray that joy is what we have, regardless of whatever season we're in life, because our joy doesn't come from a situation or a circumstance, but from the fact that we know we're not defined by the things around us, but by we're defined by being sons and daughters. We love you, and we praise you, and we pray all this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you that are visiting, welcome. We're glad to have you here. My name is Ronnie. I'm one of the pastors here at Gospel Community Church. If you consider GCC your 
home and your family. I'm glad to be here worshiping with you again, looking at God's word again um, as brothers and sisters in Christ. One quick thing before I dive in today, today is a little bit of a shorter message. And so we're actually going to have a little bit of time for Q&A at the end of the sermon. We're going to have Rick and Hunter come up with me and answer any questions you might have. Today we're continuing on in our series is the last part of that series, Catchphrases That Crush. And this has been a series where we've been examining some different ways that the, the culture at large has different sayings or even marketing companies have different taglines that can twist subtle truths about the way God has called us to live that can actually separate us from God and damage our lives in many different ways and can even be counter uh, to the gospel itself. And so today we're looking at the last one and the catchphrase or the saying today is treat yourself. And in doing that, we're going to be looking at Romans 6, 15 through 23. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it now. If you don't have a Bible, there's actually some on the back table that you can take home with you. And that is a gift from Gospel Community Church to you, for you and your family. You can write in it, highlight it. It's yours. We highly encourage you to take that if you do not have one. And we'll be in Romans 6, 15 through 23. And it's funny if you guys watched the video and they went through different catchphrases. One of them was obey your thirst. And I actually talked to Rick because I'm, I'm not much of a soda guy. I mean, I know that it's, it's tagged on to Sprite, but I never really grew up drinking a whole lot of soda or anything. But I asked him if I could change it to treat yourself because I've seen Parks and Rec. Me and my wife love Parks and Rec. And I know quite a few people have seen it. And there's people currently in the church who are watching it right now. And that's a, that's a catchphrase that came from that show, the 2009 sitcom Parks and Rec, from a specific episode. Now, it's been, it's been used a lot in the culture since then, but it, if you haven't seen it, I'll explain it real quick. It, it doesn't take a whole lot of covering. But there's one episode in particular where two characters, Tom and Donna, have one day out of the year where they treat themselves to all different kinds of life's luxuries. So like massages, mimosas, fine leather goods, um, fine... Um, they spend a lot of money on shopping, just all different kinds of things, whatever they can find pleasure and joy in. The first time they actually introduced this in the show, Donna approaches Tom and asks them if another character from the show, Ben, can come with them. And the reason being is because Ben's been having a hard time with life as of late. So he, he just recently came out of a breakup and he's experiencing loss. He's kind of moping around, experiencing a lot of depression. And so Donna thinks that we can treat what's wrong with Ben, the pain he's experiencing, by taking him with us in this day of indulgence. Maybe massages and mimosas will cure him if he comes along with us in this day of indulgence. And, and even at one point, they convince Ben to buy this Batman suit that it will make him feel better. And it, I, I don't know the cost. I tried to look it up, but it looked like a very expensive suit, probably somewhere around $1,000 or $2,000. It was a really nice Batman suit. He puts it on. He kind of starts crying. Uh, <laughs> the episode's super funny. And the show's pretty funny itself. And, and while I've never spent $2,000 on a Batman suit, this is often how I seek to handle pain in my own life. When I come in distress, when I, when I come into something that I'm anxious about, there's something in the future that I, I experience a lot of concern and worry over, I run to different pleasures in this world to find fulfillment. One of the big things is food. I'll immediately run to something super sweet or super salty. As I've gotten older, it's been a little bit more of the salty variety. Like the number three at Hawaiian time is, that's my go-to when I'm stressed. If you see me asking for Hawaiian time, there's probably something big going on in my life. I don't even know if the teriyaki sauce tastes good, but I know it's super salty, and that's all that matters. 
I, I experienced a difficult time with lust. I began thinking or seeking some kind of sexual fulfillment in many different ways. So I struggle with lust. I'll want to just plop down in front of the TV or go to a video game and veg out and check out of reality. I seek some form of entertainment or some kind of dopamine to escape my problems instead of running to God with my anxieties, as Jesus commands us to in Matthew 11, or as the psalmists so often do throughout scripture. And I know I'm not the only one. What's funny about that catchphrase, treat yourself, the actor Donna says she can't go a day without hearing that at least 10 times. And many marketing companies have now taken that and used that in their advertising. When they put something out online, whether Twitter or Facebook, they put hashtag treat yourself, treat yourself. And they communicate a lot of different things with that. But the one I want to focus on is how these goods and services can be a means of treating a deeper issue. Because our culture is pleasure seekers. We spend millions and millions on fine dining, sex, drugs, shopping. And to some degree, the money we pour into medical expenses is an attempt to experience all that life has to offer without impediment. It makes it difficult to enjoy the things of this life when there's something causing us to suffer physically. The truth is, God has given us many good gifts. Many of these things are are great things that God has given us to enjoy and experience to his glory The problem is, even as Rick said last week, we take a lot of these things and we put them where only God should be in our lives, or we so twist and distort them trying to pull any kind of pleasure to experience relief from our pain that we ultimately end up separating ourselves from God, damaging our lives. And as Paul says in this passage today, its ultimate end is death. And so let's look at what Paul says as we explore this passage, Romans 6, 15 through 23, and see see the main idea behind this passage, where Paul communicates who we belong to now as Christians and the great, we, the great hope we have in that God has given us in saving us from our own methods of trying to treat the deeper issues of our soul. Starting in verse 15, Paul says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time for the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. God, there are many, many other things that we run to instead of you, and and these things will ultimately crush us. They can't bear the weight of all of our hope. God, I pray that you would help us see the transition that has taken place and the, the one whose care we have come under, that we no longer need to run to sin to find things, to, uh, to find relief from our pain, relief from our anxieties and our fears. I pray that you would help turn our hearts towards you in those moments, and I, and I pray that this would be a time Uh, to reflect on where true healing could be found in the great physician, Jesus Christ. And we love you, God, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So even as we went to that very first verse in chapter 15, it seems like Paul is addressing something that appeared earlier, just opening up what then. I mean, he's asking a couple questions right here in the beginning. And what's going on, just to provide a little context before we just jump into the, right into the middle of chapter 6, in chapter 5, Paul just spent the entire chapter giving this beautiful exposition of the gospel. As a matter of fact, my favorite verse is in chapter 5. Uh, Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and he begins to unpack all the beautiful things about the gospel. We didn't have to clean our lives up or become perfectly righteous or holy before God accepted us, but he came, lived the perfect life of obedience to God and died for us as we were to where now we receive the full grace of God. When we stand before God after this life, we will be seen as that perfect son or daughter who perfectly fulfilled the law. And so we are fully accepted. We're a son and daughter. There's nothing we could do that could separate us from God. As Paul says, even later in Romans 8:35, that nothing could separate us from the love of God. And so he goes through this gospel presentation. That's, that's beautiful. It's a great truth. There's a lot of freedom. And then Paul asks this very obvious rhetorical question that a lot of people are probably wondering in the beginning of chapter six, twice, he kind of goes through this. Because of the grace of God, because of the gospel, does this mean that basically we can do whatever we want? I mean, we can't out the grace of God. We, we, do we have any obligation to God's law to, at all? I mean, even if we sin more, doesn't that just point more to the glory of God and how much sin he's able to cover? It, it, we really shouldn't have to change our lives in any ways. And in asking that rhetorical question, Paul gives the answer here in verse 15. He says, by no means, which is the strongest way he could have said no in, in the Greek language, it would be absolutely not. No way, never. That is not a, an acceptable answer for this. And then he moves on to unpack the relational change that has taken place for those who are in Christ. Throughout this passage, Paul, Paul compares two ways of living. There's, there's a life in obedience to sin, and there's this life in obedience to righteousness. In seven times in just nine verses, he points to these two ways of living. So he's really trying to drive this home, the difference between these two different ways of living. And he uses the language of slavery, slave of sin versus slave of righteousness. And it's interesting that he used slaves for many reasons. There's many reasons that's kind of interesting. It's not a word we typically use in our, our culture, especially because uh, of recent history in America. It's, it's a word with a lot of baggage behind it. But what's interesting is even in Romans 1, when Paul addresses himself in this letter, he calls himself a slave. He says, I am a slave of Christ. And, and what's interesting about calling that old life in the way we used to live slavery is that when we were in it, it probably didn't feel much like slavery at all. We probably felt like we had all the freedom in the world. But even as the Pharisees come and challenge Jesus in John 8, 34, Jesus tells them, as Paul does here, whoever practices sin is a slave of sin. You are, in fact, in bondage to those things. What we thought we were in charge of, what we thought we were treating ourselves with, was ultimately controlling us. And here we look in this passage, in verses 16 and 21 and 23, what does Paul say about the way our old master helped us or treated us? It says that these things would lead to death, that sin ultimately leads to death. Many times we were seeking treatment for the very thing that would kill us. It's interesting in criminology, there's a certain type of criminal offender known as the angel of mercy. For those of you that watch criminal 
uh, criminal shows like law enforcement shows or shows about serial killers or even listen to podcasts, you might already know what I'm talking about when I say angel of mercy. I'll unpack that a little bit. So a, an angel of mercy, we see it come up in pop culture, but this is an actual term in criminology that profilers use. And, and what it is, it's typically someone who works in a caregiving field. So a doctor or a nurse or some kind of assisted living personnel who treats their patients by killing them, whether through poison or over medication, somehow they, they kill their patients. What's terrifying about this is because of the appearance as one coming to help and treat the symptoms, over, over the course of history, they've gotten away with a lot. Someone like the Zodiac Killer was only able to get away with about five people because he was dark, dressed in dark, knife, gun. This is danger, danger, danger. But some of these people that have fallen under the category of angel of mercy have killed over 100 people. There was one offender in the late part of the 20th century that had even killed over 200 people because of the appearance. So there are people coming to uh, the angel of mercy seeking treatment, and ultimately they're killing them. And the, the truth is, an excessive amount of eating, hoping to experience relief from pain, or, or watching pornography, or some kind of quick release, engaging in drunkenness to avoid a problem, diving deeper and deeper into shopping debt, or spending countless hours in front of the screen is like coming to the angel of mercy expecting to be healed. We think we're treating ourselves with these things all the while drinking the poison of sin that will kill us. But this is another beautiful component of the gospel that Paul unpacks right here. There's been a transfer of ownership Jesus Christ has given us eternal life, and he has also pulled us out from under the care of our old caretaker, sin. We no longer belong to sin. Who would see us dead, skipping to the grave the whole way? If you place your faith in Christ for salvation, you belong to God, and Jesus is not like sin. He's not like the angel of mercy. The Bible oftentimes portrays him as the great physician who we see in his ministry, healing the emotional, spiritual, and physical needs of those he encounters in ministry. And even says, as it was mentioned earlier, to those who are weak from the treatment of sin, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest for your soul. Paul closes this passage, reminding us of the fruit that sin brought and the fruit that Christ is producing through us now uh, through faith. We've been set free from sin and this treat yourself way of living that is poison. So we, now we bear the fruit that Paul talks about in verse 22 that produces holiness. Not as a means of obtaining eternal life, but the result of the gospel and work in us so that we would begin to see signs of life in a body that had grown so accustomed to sin. We can taste the kingdom of God here and now as we reject the treat yourself ideology and begin asking ourselves, how do we treat others and putting that into application and seeking the needs of others above our own, which Jesus commands us to in Matthew seven and in Luke six. And in many ways, this is what Jesus did in his public ministry when he came to live and die for us. When he suffered through the rejection, the false accusation, the torture, the ridicule, the abandonment, the separation from God, and ultimately death, Jesus was showing us through the different stages of the cross, what it looks like to treat others when he took our place. And sin has this snowball effect that Paul points to in verse 19. You can't treat poison with poison. Going further and further into shopping debt is in no way going to drag you out of that. 
Watching more and more pornography is not going to make you want it less and help you grow in your relationship with God and help you grow in greater Christ-likeness. The truth of those things and these two ways of living, they, they also expose whose care we're under. This was, a, this was like a profound revelation to me, but Nicole was like, how did you not know that? I guess I, don't, I just don't go to the doctor that much. But I, I was looking through our, our medicine cabinet, and some of you should nod your head so I don't feel completely alone in this. But did you know that on your prescription bottle you get from the pharmacy, it actually has the name of your physician on it? Did you guys all know that? Oh, man. <laughs> I learned something new every day. All right. <laughs> the, the truth is, Jesus would never prescribe selfishness to his people. He would never prescribe sin. He's the great physician. He knows these things will ultimately lead to death. Jesus would prescribe the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. If you want to experience life, go to prayer, go to the Bible, go to community with one another, not just for those things in themselves, but seeking Jesus in those things. Even our own pursuit to stop sinning, you know, to live a perfectly righteous life could be something that we will put in the place of God instead of seeking Jesus over, over even our own self-righteousness. If we go to those things seeking Jesus, that will be sweet rest for our souls. That will be relief from pain. These are the things that lead us down the path of sanctification, whose ultimate end is eternal life, which Paul says in verse 23 is the free gift of God. We don't have to live a perfectly healthy and spiritual life, uh, spiritual and moral life. Jesus did that on our behalf. It was given to us through the perfectly healthy, spiritual, and moral life of Christ, who was fully obedient to the Father. But we don't have to wait to experience the full goodness of God after this life. We're his now. We can begin to experience some of the life that he's given us here in this life now. We no longer need to take the prescription from our old and awful physician, sin. Sin was that old caretaker. That malicious angel of mercy who would treat our sickness with poison leading to death. Jesus is the great physician who treats our symptoms and cures us of our sickness, giving us eternal life with the Father and freedom from sin here and now so that we could die to self and begin looking for a life that reflects the same selflessness that Jesus demonstrated for us when he went to the cross. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for, for, for saving us, for giving us the gift of eternal life, for sending your son to live that perfect life of obedience, to go to the cross, to exchange and take our place. But I pray, well, I thank you, God, that the gospel is so much more than just a someday future hope, that you're working in the lives of your people, growing us in greater Christ-likeness, growing us in greater selflessness. I pray that you would help teach us, mold us, grow us, so that we would grow in what it looks like to live a life like Christ, or in which he came and served his people. I pray that you would encourage us and help us and spur us on to serve one another, God. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.